Good morning, everybody. I know that uh, some of you in person and online have been spending months praying that God would make time move faster so that we could get through the pandemic. Congratulations. Your prayers were answered this morning. He took away one hour, so no complaining. For those of you who have small children, congratulations on entering the week of the reckoning. I pray for you as they adjust. Uh, But if you have your Bible this morning, if you want to open, we're going to read from two passages as we continue our study on one kingdom discipleship, make disciples, and reaching others. So if you want to open your Bible, the book of Matthew, that's the first book of the New Testament, and right at the very end, the very end of the book of Matthew, chapter 28, and you can put your finger by verse 18, and once you get that, we're also going to use a passage in Luke, which is two books after Matthew. Luke chapter 5, we're going to read through verses 1 to 11 through that. But I want you to just imagine as you're opening your Bibles and getting, getting ready there, have this picture in mind. You enter a hospital room, family are gathered, and they're gathered around the bed of someone who is there, and you can tell that the moments are coming to an end. They share memories, they have laughs. They express their love for that individual. And with their last breaths, they have words to be able to share with those selected few that are in the room. What words are they going to share? We may not know the specifics, but I guarantee you those words aren't going to be wasted on talking about the weather or what they had for lunch the day before but they're going to speak about the things that are most poignant, most important, most valued. In this portion in Matthew 28, these are the very last words Jesus speaks to his disciples before he ascends back to the Father in heaven. Needless to say, these words aren't frivolous. But in a similar vein, Jesus didn't use his last words on earth to say things that didn't matter, but the things that were most important to him and to his heart. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Just before we read through them, will you join me in prayer? God, open our hearts to receive from you. God, I know your desire and what you have for this morning is not that people would hear me. So I pray that my voice would become quiet and your voice for those who are in this room and those who are watching from home today your Holy Spirit would speak so loudly. I pray, give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. These are the final words that Jesus speaks to his disciples in Matthew 28. He says this, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So there's a few things that I want us to investigate when it comes to the command to make disciples and reach others. And as we look through this passage, the first thing I want to point out is Jesus' instructions to go. Jesus doesn't say stay, he says go. 
He doesn't say just mingle amongst yourselves. Find those who look the same as you, who talk the same, who think the same. Stay amongst them. Make your circle small and tight, but don't venture out of it. Just wait till I come home. Those aren't the words Jesus spoke. He said, go. This word that he he uses that's translated as go means pursue the journey on which one has entered or to continue on one's journey. We are called to carry on the journey, the mission of Jesus, to go into all the world. Now, it can be very easy to develop in our lives an inward focus, a self-serving, self-pleasing focus, But that's not the DNA of a true disciple, a true follower of Jesus. We are called to go, to reach outside of ourselves and go into all the world. Now, I was doing some reading over this past week, and I was reading about a place called uh, Cape Coast Castle. Has anybody heard of the Cape Coast Castle before? I think there's a picture uh, that we have, if you can put that up. This castle is found in Ghana. Now, as you look at it, don't be fooled by the beauty of the building. It was here that hundreds of thousands of Africans were forced through its underground dungeons and then through the door of no return into slave ships. One author's experience when visiting this place was this. There were five dungeon chambers for males. And descending into the darkness to one of those dungeons felt claustrophobic. 200 men, shackled and chained together, lived in that dungeon for about three months before being shipped across the Atlantic. Do you know what was above the dungeon? This horrible place of torture and despair? A chapel. Directly above 200 shackled men, some dead, others screaming, all of them sitting in filth, sat God worshipers. They sang, they read scripture, they prayed, they probably took offerings for the less fortunate. The men below would be able to hear the service, and the worshipers could sometimes hear the screaming of the slaves. See, the people in the chapel were numb to the horrific trauma and suffering beneath them. As a follower of Jesus, you are brought into his church, but you are called to go out into the world. Your purpose is not contained within the walls of this building or any other church structure. We are called to go. Perhaps when I read about this place, Cape Coast Castle. It's easy for you, like it is for me, to judge those worshipers and see the vileness of their hypocrisy. But what about our own? The Bible tells us that there is a world around us that are slaves to sin, subject to its punishment, both in this light and even more poignantly in the life to come. As those who have received the good news of Jesus, we have the words of hope and freedom for the entire world. We aren't called just to stay in our safe cocoon and pretend like the rest of the world doesn't exist. To go doesn't mean you have to travel to Africa. It doesn't mean you need to go to a place 
like Cape Coast Castle. To go means saying yes to continuing the journey with Jesus. It means not limiting him to work within the parameters of your already predetermined life that you are making for yourself. Essentially saying, I want what I want, but I'll sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on top of that. Rather, to go means yes to following God and the path that he has made and he is asking you to take. Jesus is calling you and I to go. To reach out beyond our wants, our ideas, our comfort, and to continue the journey that he has started. So the first thing when it comes to making disciples and reaching others is we need to go. But we see here in Matthew 28, we are to go and the instructions that Jesus says is go and make disciples. Now this morning, we will not be separating a section to talking about reaching others and making disciples or evangelizing and discipling. We are not going to separate those because Jesus doesn't make a distinction between the two. Again, in this passage, Jesus' words aren't go and make converts, but it was go and make disciples. This word disciple means to, this is always my favorite when a word is defined, it means to disciple. I love when a dictionary just gives you the actual word as its definition. But beyond that, to disciple one, to follow his precepts and instructions, to follow the precepts and instructions of a teacher, to make a disciple, to teach and instruct to become like. A disciple is to become like Christ, our teacher. This is the call and mission of a Christ follower. And the church is to be an incubator of discipleship. You see, a convert is a person who has had an experience, but a disciple is a truly radically transformed life. If you are focused solely on converts, people become like projects, almost as if they are trophies to be won and then moved on from. Perhaps some of you today here, or perhaps some of you who are watching online, this has been your experience. Perhaps your exchange with a follower of Jesus is you felt like you were their trophy. That's not God's desire. You are not anybody's project, but rather you are an individual who God is reaching out to and he wants you to come and join and follow him. To disciple is an investment. It is to pour yourself into another. To take what Christ has deposited into you and lovingly reach out, teach and invest that into someone else. Discipleship is deep work. You think of Jesus, the greatest preacher that ever was. He could have spent his entire time just preaching. Think of the stories where the masses of people would end up coming to obscure places just to hear him speak. And he could have spent his entire life just doing that. But his public ministry, the three and a half years that Jesus spent ministering to the public... The majority of that time was spent investing into a small group of 12 men. 
He discipled them. God wants you to be disciples who help reproduce disciples, who in turn help reproduce disciples. Hence, we are to make disciples of all nations. That means all people. Not just the people who look like us, think like us, vote the same as us. Not the people that we would dictate in saying that their lifestyle is closer to what a Christian should be. We are to reach out to make disciples of all people. So what's involved in discipling others? We're going to spend this morning looking at this in a little bit of detail. First, we're going to do that by looking a little further into Matthew 28, and then we're going to flip to Luke chapter 5. We're to make disciples of all nations, it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands Jesus has given us. So we are to baptize and we are to teach. So first, baptism. We are to baptize those who want to follow Jesus. Now let's talk about this just for a second. Is we do have baptisms that happen in this church. And so if you've been regularly attending, if you've been watching online, you've probably heard us talk about baptism. But I want to just review this. Salvation, your salvation, your forgiveness of sin is not found in the act of baptism. You are not saved by being baptized. The Bible's really clear on this. But rather, baptism is a public declaration of a sincere inward faith. That my life is now joined with Christ. As someone is baptized, they go down into the water, which represents us being joined with Christ in his death. Then in the water, being washed, renewed, and coming up into the new life we now have with Christ. Think of it this way. Baptism is similar to when you get married, if, if you have been married. If you get married, I have my wedding ring here. Now this wedding ring is not my marriage, but it is symbolic of the vows and the commitment that I made to my wife. Very similarly, baptism it does not contain your salvation, but it is symbolic. It is a public act showing now the marriage that you have to Christ. Now the qualifications for those of you who have yet to be baptized, the qualifications for baptism is this, that you have a personal relationship with Jesus. You've invited him to be your, the leader and forgive you of your sin and the leader of your life and you want to follow him. That's it. Those are the qualifications. And I think oftentimes we like to put other things on there. Well, I got to get all my life right before I get baptized. I want to make sure I got everything cleared up before I do that. If you read in the Bible, there was a regular pattern. Read through the book of Acts. People heard the gospel, they received Jesus, and they were baptized. If you've been putting off baptism, if you are a follower of Jesus and you want to live for him, your time is now. April 11th is our next baptism opportunity. And so if you are interested in that, please contact us at the church. Email Pastor Marlo, marlo at eaglemontchurch.ca. He, he would be excited to hear from you. We'll get you details about the preparatory class for that and for you to be able to take that step. We would love to celebrate with you. Baptism, though, again, reminds us that we need to die to our old way of living to self 
so that we can be joined with Jesus in the new life. That's why it's so pivotal as part of our discipleship. We regularly need to be talking about this church. Daily, we, ought, we should be, again, more and more dying to our old self, coming into the new life Christ has for us. So we're to be baptized, and then we are also supposed to teach, teaching these disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Effective discipleship means teaching another to obey all the commands that God has given. Now let me clarify quickly. This does not say that you will be able to perfectly obey all the commands. This is where the grace of God comes in. We are still sinful even after we receive Christ and we will still struggle There's the process in church that we talk about sanctification. After we give our hearts to Christ, we become more like him. And every day we're being made more like him. That's discipleship. But in that process in our life, we are still going to make mistakes. We're still going to struggle. So it's not a case where you have to perfectly obey. But we are to teach each other to obey all the commands. Now again, all, not some. Not just the things that are popular, that sound good, that we like, that are culturally acceptable, or teachings that even just make sense to us. But we are to teach all the commands, as Jesus said. The teaching of Jesus Christ, the teachings of the Bible, become our guidelines for how our new life is to be lived. So we need to have all of it. Church, I want to say this this morning. God does not need you to make him more palatable to others. He does not need your editing. He is calling you to share him and all of him with those around you. You've maybe heard this language if you've listened to church before, if you're streaming online, if you've maybe even heard a couple of our messages here before, you've maybe heard this. But when we invite others to receive Jesus... We ask him to be our savior and our Lord. Now Jesus, when Jesus is my savior, it means he saves me from my sins. There's an emphasis on my sins being forgiven. When we talk about Jesus as Lord, this puts an emphasis on a reorientation of my life. Now this includes the forgiveness of sins. I'm no longer the king of my own domain. Jesus is. This reorientation takes, uh, changes everything. Some of us try to convince ourselves that we can have Jesus as Savior. We love the idea of being saved from sin and having that card escaping death. But we like the idea of that without Jesus being Lord. But according to the writings of the New Testament, it doesn't work that way. Here's the encouraging thing, though. If you make Jesus as your Lord, if you allow him to reorientate your life and he becomes the leader of it, then you get him to be your savior for free. No, this is not an infomercial. But that comes with it. When we allow him to be king and reorientate our life, he becomes our savior. Now you may be asking, how does this practically work? What about those of us who find this whole idea of reaching out, of discipling, of sharing with others really awkward? We feel uncomfortable, and it seems really unnatural to us. 
when am I supposed to be on discipleship sharing mode um, and not? And am I supposed to be hanging out outside the church, preaching at people with a pool of water nearby so I'm ready to just douse them whenever I can find them? What hours of the week should this be? When am I on? What's my responsibility? How do I find those who, I'm, who I want to be discipled? What does discipleship making look like in your life? I want to say this to start with. Some of you I know right now, in your mind, you are actually already tuning me out. Because what you're hearing through my voice is you're hearing a challenge and you're going, listen, pastor, I'm already done. We've now marked a year in this pandemic and some of you feel so spent and the idea of being told that you need to do one more thing makes you want to pull your hair out and scream. And listening to me, you're just hearing another voice telling you something that you should be doing. Let me say this. Discipleship and reaching out to the world is not something you do. It is not something to add onto your list of what you have to do. Discipleship is not something to do. It's something you are. And if you are hearing guilt this morning, then you can tune that out. But if internally you have something stirring, perhaps some of you might be feeling conviction this morning. If that's not my voice, but something coming from within you, then I encourage you to listen to that voice because that might be the Holy Spirit prodding you and encouraging you. This is not about adding something to your list of jobs. As you allow for the transforming power of Christ's love to transform and work through you, you living out God's love is the most powerful form of discipleship there is. In fact, it is the love of the followers of Jesus for other disciples that is the most attractional thing to Christ that there is. See, as vital and important as teaching or doctrine is, this is the main tool of discipleship. It is not your ability to teach or preach that will be your greatest testimony to the world. John 13, 35 says this, your love for one another, he's speaking to the church, to followers, disciples of Jesus, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. See, you do not need to, to know everything or to be a great orator, to be a great disciple maker. You need Jesus and his love flowing through you. The greatest disciplers that I have known in my life were not the most learned nor the most knowledgeable. They were those who took God at his word and loved others well. I remember when I was in my early years of ministry, I had a young man in my youth group got saved, and he was the greatest evangelist our youth group had ever seen. He knew nothing, but he knew that God was real, and he had so many friends at school, and he was kind of one of those, he wasn't the most popular guy in school, but he was just a real, real kid, and people connected him because of that, and he was unashamed 
of his faith. He shared and he invited. Half of our youth group came because of him. I ask you this morning, both for those of you who are online and those of you who are in person, but if you have been engaged for any length of time to Eaglemont Church and you've ever come specifically into this building, how many of you have come here because of how amazing the teaching is at Eaglemont Church? I'm not going to ask you to answer that question because I might get a little hurt. And, and you might go, it's good. But how many of you come here? Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. But how many of you have come here because when you came here, you felt God's love? You felt cared for. You saw people who cared authentically for one another. And that's what made you go, I want to come back. The greatest testimonies in my life have been those in my life, my, my parents and others, who they have loved the church well. How people have cared for one another. So that's the premise. This is not a job. This is not an add to your to-do. But this is an outflow of who you are. But let's turn to Luke 5. So there we have two passages we're going to go to. So Luke chapter 5. I'm going to read through this. One day... As Jesus is starting in verse 1 of Luke 5, one day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and they were washing their nets. Stepping onto one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out to the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When they had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now, go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. So from this exchange, and specifically, this is a passage sometimes we refer to, this is when Jesus encounters his, his disciple, Peter. So here we see a couple of points that I want, three things from this passage. First is this, when it comes to discipleship, Jesus wants you to meet people in real life. You see, the disciples didn't meet Jesus in the temple teaching Jesus went out and met them where they were. He didn't wait there for them and ask for them to come. He met these men where their lives were. They were fishermen. Some of us buy into the lie that you really need to be at church to meet God. That's where he's really present and he's most powerful. But if anything, Jesus is most relevant outside of the walls of this building. That's where he is most needed. Again, as we spoke about already, disciples go. And the people you disciple will probably not be found in this building right now. But they will be in your world. You need to connect with people in everyday life. And it doesn't need to be weird or contrived. It just needs to be real. Now, where this becomes awkward is if you've always only had Jesus as part of one aspect of your life. You maybe only think God can be accessed when there's a band and lighting and a pastor up front. But that's not true. And if you've tried to limit God to that context, then it's going to feel odd because you haven't invited Jesus into your whole life. 
You're missing out on the most powerful encounters you can possibly have with Jesus. And that's in the context of your life. God is going to use your employment, your family, your hobbies, friends, places that you, you live in, connect with, the people, uh, the people that you see regularly to disciple. This might be done through a word of encouragement that you give. It might be an offer to pray for someone who's going through a difficult time or a conversation with questions they may have about the purpose of life or what happens after this life. Maybe it's just being a listening, compassionate ear. Being ready to, as, as Hebrews talks about, ready to share the reason for the hope that you have. Going back to Luke 5, these fishermen that Jesus spoke to, fishing was not a hobby for them. This was their livelihoods. And you can imagine a night of no catch meant no money, no food for these men's families. So I'm sure of all days, these fishermen weren't in the greatest of moods that morning. They'd spent all night and had nothing to return to with. The shores of the lake wouldn't have provided the sanitized setting that the temple would have for Jesus to teach, but that's where he chose to meet them. If you are going to meet people in real life, again, it does not mean it has to be awkward, but I will say this, it's not always going to be clean. It's going to get dirty. And we can't be afraid of messy situations. Don't be afraid of befriending people in the world who struggle with skin, sin or who are skeptical about God. Jesus wasn't. Again, don't buy into this overly sanitized version of who Jesus is. One you have to somehow shade or protect from the realities of this world. Jesus is not afraid of your drunk neighbor. Jesus is not afraid of the colorful language your friend uses or of their particular views on social issues. Jesus is relevant and wants to be present there. Mark 2:17 says this, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, "It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners." We live in a world in need of hope. And you have that hope to share. Don't be like those people who live on top of that dungeon of 200 people shackled, destined for a life of slavery, pretending as if that doesn't exist. You have a hope, you have a key for freedom. The only loving response is to share. We need to meet people in real life. The second thing we see here from Luke is we need to point to Jesus and not to other sins. Again, going to this passage, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees after the net was filled with fish, fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Lord, please leave me. I am a such a sinful man. Jesus didn't say anything about Simon's sin, not a word. You see, there is something about when we come in contact with the divine, that we become attuned to the presence of God, that convicts us of our sin. Disciple makers share Jesus, not simply an explanation of sin. Point people to Jesus. Don't worry about trying to change people. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. 
See, it's God who works in us to do that. Your job and my job is to share Jesus, to share truth. Introduce people to Jesus in your life because Jesus will radically change them. Finally, thirdly, discipleship calls for everything. Luke 10, again, Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. They pulled up and they left everything. Note this, they didn't get off their boat and grab their gear, get their possessions. This haul of fish that I'm sure would have provided tons of finances for their families that would have been brought with cheers at home. They didn't even pull that out. They dropped everything in that moment, left and followed him. They left everything. If you and I teach about a Jesus who lets us pick and choose the parts of him we like and don't like to incorporate into our worldview and lifestyle, then we aren't introducing people to Jesus. We're just introducing them to ourselves and our own thoughts. Salvation is given freely by the cross of Christ, but it is not cheap. It cost God his own son. Jesus gave up his very life. And so with that discipleship, following the ways and the journey of Jesus, continuing on his journey, requires us to leave everything. Luke 14 talks about this in verse 27 to 28, 33. I'm not going to read it this morning, but it talks about counting the cost before we start the journey. Being a fisher of men or a discipler starts now. Jesus doesn't say, all right, follow me for a 10-year extensive. I'm going to put you through this course, and then we'll do five years of a practicum, and then you'll be ready to fish for people. He says, follow me now. When we give our life to Christ, that's the moment we become a disciple. And a moment where he calls us to be a discipler of disciples. It starts now. There's no one on the sidelines. As we close today, I want to just quickly go back to Matthew 28. And the last words that are in that verse. Jesus says this to his disciples. I am with you. Always, even to the end of the sage. We need to remember that we are not in this alone. Discipleship, sharing Jesus with others, is not a to-do list item that we have to somehow force ourselves into. It is rather our opening, allowing the work of God in us to flow out. You do not do this on your own. He is with you. Our part to play is our willingness and our openness. You don't need to coerce or intellectually convince anyone. The work of salvation is a spiritual work of grace. God does not lead you to do this on on your own, but he goes with you. I'm going to ask for you who are online and those who are here today, if you'll just close your eyes and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just want to pray right now, perhaps for someone this morning, God, this rings true in the fact that they've maybe felt like they've been treated like a project and they've been kind of coerced, but they've never actually known what it is to have Jesus in them.
speaking to them and leading them. And today they just feel, even as I speak, maybe not even on topic to what your Holy Spirit's been preaching in their hearts and speaking to them, God, they feel this desire to want to know you. I know it's as simple as just that invitation of you coming in. If that's you, if you're watching and hearing this today, I just want you to say these words. Heavenly Father, thank you for caring about me, not as a project, but really loving me. I know my life is not perfect. It's kind of messed up, and I've got some stuff that I'm not proud of. But I ask you to forgive me, take me out of the dungeon, and help me to live free from sin. And instead, go on the journey you have for me. I want to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. And just while our eyes are closed, I want to pray for those of us today, maybe something's hit home in that we've walked away from what our life is to be. Again, if you feel guilt for my words, then you ignore this person. But if the Holy Spirit's convicting you right now, I want you to just be honestly asking God, God, how am I doing at continuing the journey you started in me? Is there someone in my life that you've called me to be reaching out to, to discipling? Just in this moment, I'm going to give five seconds here, but just ask that question. And if there's someone who comes to mind right now that God's just right away putting on your heart, I'm going to ask for you to say yes to that. God, you would help us this week to step out, to be obedient to that, that you provide us the opportunity just to, to talk with that individual. It's not about us preaching at them. God, would you help us to reach out with love, compassion, and give us just even as we are now, as we're feeling that sense in us now, give us that willingness to wait in that moment as we're with that person to receive your instruction of what we should say and what we should do. Help us not to be those who stay and think we can just worship God in our safe little space while there are those who are dying in slavery. Give us eyes to reach out in your mission, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Just as Pastor Brennan comes to close us, if you made that decision today and said that prayer, just want to encourage you. We'd love to be able to stand with you and help you on the start of that journey. If you want to text the word Jesus to the number that you see on the screen in front of you, we'd love to give you some resources and again, just walk through with you in this journey.